code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Thanks for joining us for Minute 19 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. Forgot to mention that a few days ago, Daniel left a comment on our Facebook page in response to the theory I dropped in Minute 16, or was it 17? Not sure which one right now, but essentially I was saying how the gold medallion was subconsciously directing Elizabeth to put it on and start this whole chain of events that we're seeing now. And Daniel astutely said that he could see it behaving like the one ring, you know, the one ring to rule them all. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Daniel. I was thinking the same thing. So in addition to the medallion starting this fellowship and journey that we're seeing here. Oh, yeah. Thanks. See, now you're just going to start all these references for Lord of the Rings. It's trying to get back to its home, so to speak, is, is what he postulated. And to continue on with that thought, maybe that's why Elizabeth has been so protective of it and trying to hide it. This medallion is her precious, and she certainly did not want to give it to Norrington. (laughs) Think about it. In fact, she hides it behind her back just like Frodo and Gollum do in Lord of the Rings when she is a kid on the Black... or on the Dauntless. You know, she puts it behind her back. Kind of reminds me of that time when... Who was it? Was it Frodo that did it and then he slips it on or disappears? Something like that. I haven't watched those in a while. But yeah, we got a Lord of the Rings thing going on here. So all that we needed was for her to disappear when she did that. And then it would have been a complete connection. (laughs) So, and then when she's grown and she puts it on after, you know, a long while, she finds it in her, that drawer. You know, it's like Bilbo Baggins does. You know, she doesn't want her dad to see it on. And then on the dock, she gets this look of fright when Jack sees it. It's like, I'm starting to see some similarities between Elizabeth, Jack, Frodo, and Gollum. (laughs) And I don't know if that's good. (laughs) Am I not going to be able to see anything without seeing Lord of the Rings now in here? I'm just wondering. (laughs) So I'm really going to have to work on this theory. And perhaps one day we'll find out that the gold of the medallion was eventually melted down and used to forge. Well, wait for it. Perhaps a ring in the fires of Mount Doom. Guess we'll have to change the name to Pirates of the Middle Earth Minute. (laughs) I have a question about that, though. I think the Lord of the Rings movie came before Pirates. What are you doing? (laughs) So you'd have to actually melt the ring. The rings were melted down to create the. That's right. So that would be opposite. So the rings were melted down, and then they were somehow transferred to the Aztecs. The Aztecs used the ring gold to then create. The, the medallions yes. and that's how they were able to get the curse going we got something going here because i'm gonna work on this orlando bloom practically walked walked off the set <gasps> oh of... you just brought in orlando bloom and he's in, <laughs> i didn't even think about that yeah. connection he walked off the set of lord of the rings and went to yeah pirates well it makes basically. sense because orlando bloom is an elf he brought it with him which they are immortal yes. and so he <laughs> has just lived all this time and then he became he's like you know what i just gonna start and he's making swords and he's a good swordsmith i don't even know <laughs> this is going down we're we're gonna start deep diving here so we probably better stop but 
there's all kinds of things happening here. And and I was looking, as I said, for a, a connection to the the whole connection with Han Solo, as I mentioned, encased in carbonite. And his dream while he's in this frozen carbonite state is Indiana Jones. I'm starting to think that we have an actual timeline connection here of elfin magic become, you know, in, in Lord of the Rings and the medallion and the rings and all of this crazy stuff. We're on to something here. You heard it here first, Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Or Pirates of the Middle Earth Minute. I don't know yeah. which one. We'll have to figure that out. Anyways, now let's get back, dare I say, to reality. Well, we're loving the comments and activities. And now that our online community is growing, we'll be putting definitely some extra efforts into post-episode interactions and discussions. So we'll see you online and we'll see you, you know, we can all debate and work on our Lord of the Rings theories and other things. But, you know, we'll do some fun stuff like polls and favorite movies and, and the timelines or, you know, just even what your your favorite Pirates of the Caribbean films are ranking them in order. So we'll do some of that cool stuff and, and get moving on that. But let's get going. In the previous minute, Norrington discovers Jack has been literally branded as a pirate by the East India Trading Company and from his tattoo realizes this is none other than Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow, sans ship for the moment. Mulroy and Murtog also divulge Jack's plans to commandeer a ship and then they hand over his personal effects for Norrington to examine. Minute 19 begins with Norrington scrutinizing and commenting on Jack's belongings. No additional shot nor powder, a compass that doesn't point north, and I half expected it to be made of wood, referring to his sword. The minute ends with Jack using the chain on his handcuffs to take Elizabeth hostage by wrapping it around her neck, demanding the return of his effects and his hat. So in this minute, I'm kind of feeling bad for Jack here. I mean, Norrington is doing everything he possibly can to embarrass him. First, he brings up, here in the last minute, about him being a captain and not having a ship. And now he's saying he has nothing, basically, except broken Yeah, he's making fun of his only (laughs) possessions. Yeah, I mean, this is Jack's only possessions. And he is totally making fun of it. And putting into question, what kind of pirate are you? I mean, seriously, dude, you have nothing. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't uh, make fun of his gunpowder spot, as they would call a tattoo. Yeah. He's like, this is it? You have a sparrow on your arm? (laughs) Right? Which we never really covered. I mean, we did mention something about the tattoo, but there was a sparrow, a sun, and the ocean. So, you know, there's that whole freedom pirate thing, the sparrow soaring. But we'll, we'll probably come back to that at some other point if necessary. But anyways, as you were saying... So I was just saying, I'm just feeling kind of bad for him, you know? But then Jack is, he's just this guy who thinks, yeah, this may be bad, but you know what? It'll all turn out in the end. He's got just this attitude, like happy-go-lucky almost, you know? Yeah. he must, Everything will work out for me. He's, yeah, he's obviously, his experiences in life have always worked out. They may not work out in the short term. But in the long term, he always gets back on the right path. And right by that, I mean, not say as in right or wrong morally, but at least right for him. So he's not in danger. Right. Norrington says there's no additional shot nor powder, a compass that doesn't point north. And I half expected it, the sword, to be made of wood. And it's just, wow, like you're saying, Norrington is on a roll with his jabs at Jack. And that started in minute 18. It's this, again, it's this overconfidence. You know, it never usually, and I guess I should say that overconfidence in movies never usually works out. So I'm thinking Norrington's going to come to regret some of these things that he's saying, or at least (laughs) that he's 
playing this overconfident hand because it always comes back to bite you no matter what. We've seen it in a movie a thousand yeah. times. He gets a smirk and he's exactly. just like, yeah. And yeah, he says, those pithy remarks are going to come back to bite him for sure. Yeah. And he says, he's the worst pirate he's ever heard of. Yeah, exactly. But then Jack's got a perfect retort to that in his little mannerism way. You know, he's kind of swaying a little and he goes, yeah, but you've heard of me. That's right. <laughs> you know, so he's all proud that uh, this Norrington guy has actually heard of him, you know. Yeah, so that comes back to what we talked about earlier on and maybe a little bit yesterday is that, you know, he doesn't want the attention, but he'll get a be or he'll get offended if you didn't hear of him or yeah. you don't give him that yeah. attention. So it's this weird you can't win with him on that. So I think that it, it's okay. And you know, I guess he wants and the only thing I can think of is I guess he wants to make his mark on the world. You know, it's not necessarily wanting to deal with all the repercussions of, you know, being pirate famous, right. especially like you know, you don't want to be famous pirate necessarily, except I guess it could work out for you from certain perspective. As far as the law goes, you don't want to be where you just walk into town and get arrested. But being a famous pirate, if you're notorious for that, you do want that on the seas because it comes back to the whole fear is the greatest weapon of the pirate. and You can get them to surrender or give them what you want without having to, to fight for right, it and endanger yeah. yourself. I think this resonates with most of us, actually. It's just age-old question does my life have meaning and to some that means leaving a mark on history while others it's leaving a mark such as raising a family and and doing good Mm -hmm. so i think that's maybe what jack is longing for is that that he's trying to leave that mark and he just wants people he doesn't want to fade away to history he doesn't want to be that gibbeted pirate that nobody knows the name of right if he's going to be gibbeted he wants people to say that's captain jack sparrow And so I think for Jack, it's being recognized as that notorious pirate, or should I say infamous pirate? Or should I say infamous pirate? Shout out to Three Amigos. <laughs> so, and I think we also get yet another glimpse into his character and his personality, you know, in this kind of approach to life. You know, he has a plan, and as soon as the handcuffs are on, he says, finally. He was waiting for some leverage, and the chain is just what he needed to help make his escape, you know, with Elizabeth. Right. You know, he, he has this whole plan in mind. He's he's seeing steps ahead. He's always a, ahead of the game and he knows what he's going to do. And he, okay, so he's going to get shot. He got a reprieve. He was going to be hanged. He got, well, that was where he was. And now he's being taken into, you know, handcuffs. And so he's th- his next part of the plan is now I can use the handcuffs to make my escape because I was waiting for a weapon. So that's what he does. The one thing that I really noticed here is Jack's voice significantly changes in tone after he tells Norrington his demands. And when he doesn't get that reaction from Norrington, then Jack says, Commodore. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not messing around now. His tone is completely different and kind of this jovial, joking stuff. And now it's like, okay, it's gone from, I've been playing around, now I'm dead serious. Commodore, get me my stuff. Yeah. This steps things up a notch and relays, I think, the message that I have just been, you know, he's been a bit laid back, but now it's like, I'm serious and I'm not messing around anymore. And I'm going to tighten this chain around her neck if you don't comply. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But I also wanted to mention, too, and probably should have said it yesterday, but we might be on our fourth or maybe fifth introduction for Jack Sparrow. You know, yesterday, you know, he said his name or we get his name that Uh it's actually Captain Jack Sparrow. So I should have been keeping track, but I think that's one that this one is more of a formal introduction. We finally have his name. Right. uh, For at least for the audience. Yeah. And then again, we get kind of that whole play, as you mentioned, on 
the conversation between Jack and Norrington is Norrington says he is without a doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. So again, it's that whole introduction that we're seeing. Yeah. So there's been a lot of interesting introductions for our, our pirate main character here for sure. Right. So you remember yesterday I mentioned that women and um, a woman in her under undergarments was considered to be naked. Yeah. Okay. So I guess either Elizabeth didn't know this rule or is it modest? Because when she's chasing after Jack and um, Norrington, as a, as Norrington's dragging him to the dock area to arrest him and put his chains on, uh, she throws off the jacket that her dad put on her huh. and starts running after That's them. That's right, yeah. You know, instead of kind of just keeping it on, she throws it off. Like, heck with this, you know. <laughs> I got enough clothes on. It just goes to show you that she's not the normal woman of the day there. I, I completely agree. And that actually leads into some stuff that I had in my notes regarding Elizabeth for this minute. So, and it's the exact same kind of concept of, of what you were talking about. And so I was going to say, did you notice Elizabeth doubled down on her affection for Will here? And it's kind of this indirect way. Even in this stressful situation, she makes a point to tell Jack that it's not Elizabeth. My name is Miss Swan. So... Because he says your name, you know, I think Jack says it's Elizabeth, right? And she says, you know, no, it's Miss Swan. Uh-huh. And so she went out of her way in the earlier minutes for Will to call her Elizabeth. Now when things, you know, so it's like things can become prim and proper when it suits her or gets her point across. But she's down to earth with Will and discards all this formality. So Jack being taken or taking her hostage, it's like, you know what? I'm above you. It's Miss Swan. I don't like what you're doing. How dare you call me Elizabeth? So she kind of moves to that formality stuff. It's Miss Swan. But when Will's there, she's trying to make it a point for her to call her Elizabeth. So at least we know it has something to do with, you know, Will. And she's not just going around, would somebody just please call me Elizabeth? (laughs) There's something special with Will. (laughs) Yeah. So it is Will. So he should be happy about that. He should have been like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, adjusting his tie. Like, oh, yeah, I'm the man. (laughs) And also, I think that there's a second meaning there. It's not just that affection for Will, or at least that we see that it's not where Will is something special to her. But I think there's also a dig at Captain Jack Sparrow's comment to Norrington. When J- when Norrington says, you know, Jack Sparrow, he says, no, it's Captain Jack Sparrow. So oh. Elizabeth, it's this like subtle dig at Jack here, who's now holding her hostage because he calls her Elizabeth and she's basically like, no, it's Miss Swan. Yeah. So... I think it's there's a lot of these good, subtle verbal jabs in these minutes that we're seeing. Right. And, and getting back to things. So it's pretty cool that, we're, that the writers were able to put that in and make it work so well. Yep. So when uh, Jack actually grabs Elizabeth, she's actually, literally, I mean, seems shocked. She didn't, like she wasn't expecting that, you know, to be grabbed. Yeah, that's interesting because may, I think maybe because she was really going... She was really driving the point hard with Norrington. She was like, she was Jack's biggest advocate. Oh, yeah. And trying to help him. And now she's she's again seeing what pirates really are. Yes. So her romanticized version of pirates that we saw when she was a little girl, she had this whole notion and this idea. And then she sees what pirates really are because this burned merchant ship, there's this little boy that maybe she thinks is a pirate or grew up grown not to be a pirate or knew he's not a pirate now but she sees that pirates destroy ships and kill people then we come here 
and she's trying to save the pirate life who just rescued her. So she's got this romanticized version again uh-huh. of what a pirate is, or at least help bolsters that. And now he takes her hostage after she was just trying to help protect him. So she keeps seeing like some of the realities of what a pirate really is. And maybe they're not, a you know, they don't have this allegiance or they're not going to sit there and go by the rules or he's not going to just allow them to take him to court. You know, pretty yeah. much the verdict was written. So yeah. she should at least take that into account. I know she's offended by this, but her dad basically said, hang him. In this weird, you know, high society yeah. voice. And it's like, why why trouble with that? You know, you know you're going to be hanged. Don't go to court. Just get the hell out of there. Right. But she's still offended by the, you know, I think she's part of that whole process. At least that's her world is we got to go through the procedures. So Jack tells her, I knew you warm up to me. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was a funny little, you know, comment because she, you know, she's. When is that? When he's. When he has her. When he has her. Yeah, he kind of whispers into her. No, I'm not sure if other people could hear him at that point in time. Kind of whispers in her ear. I knew you'd warm up to me. <laughs> you know, I think it was, um, you know, because she was trying to save him. That's right. You know, and kind of going through the whole thing. But then at this time, she's angry at him because he has her. You know, she seems like she's got this, she's doing this angry look. You know. Exactly. So thought that was interesting and speaking of warming up yes this is another one of my famous transitions did you notice the weather did you notice the weather in this minute did you happen to be looking at the weather no not really is it blue skies so (laughs) i thought the medallion was this powerful supernatural force that could change the weather (laughs) but apparently the weather only changes for maybe a few minutes. <laughs> I didn't even if, notice. If, if it's even a few minutes, because I think we were at dark clouds in minute 16 and 17 or 17. Now we'd have to go back. Yeah. We're in minute 19. So it really has only been a couple minutes. The ominous dark clouds, this wind eh, pretty much dissipated and we have some lingering fog. Huh. You know, so the fog machines are working overtime to pump out this smoke and this fog, which I think is okay. I think, it, you know, we have a lot of tight shots here. Yes. So we're not seeing a lot of landscapes. We're no. seeing a lot of really tight shots. And maybe it is because of the weather that they did some of this. Still, the dark clouds are gone and you can kind of get peaks and stuff. And you see behind the blue skies, you know, these puffy white clouds. Not only that, there was some really dark clouds coming in. It yeah. became overcast. And now it's a bit sunny out. Huh. You know, you can't control the weather. (laughs) So, you know, maybe it was just served the purpose like, hey, you know, the the medallion signaled whatever it was going to signal. It changed the weather, changed the direction of the wind. But okay, now that that's done, we're all good. Huh. Maybe it's out of the water, so it 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 has it it does something because it's now out of the water. Maybe or maybe we're not supposed to notice that because they are pulling all these tight shots. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> they they can't actually really adjust their schedules that much for for the skies yeah. out there. But you know they are in the Caribbean. Who you know for all those poor people that were visiting on vacation, they're yeah. like, who called in the dark clouds <laughs> and the rain? You know, so in the wind. So nobody wants that. No. But I did think that was pretty funny. Yeah. And. I got to say, yes, I was again distracted by the minutia of this minute. So in the previous minute, we see Marines holding Jack at gunpoint, and that was in minutes 18, or musket point or bayonet point, whatever we want to call it. Anyways, I was distracted because the bayonets in the shot appeared to be on top of the muzzle the way that they were holding these things. 
So that's when Norrington says, keep your guns on them, or they run up when Jack is going to, before he shakes his hand, and then after he shakes his hand, the muzzles are, or the muskets are still on him. Uh-huh. And you see that the bayonets look like they're on top of the muzzle in this in these shots. So surprise, and contrary to what everyone believes, I am not an antique arms and armory expert. You're not? Nope. Just like a doctor, <laughs> you know, I might seem like it, and to the untrained eye, but I'm not really. You know, I really just play one on the radio. So anyways, so whether they really might be on some of the arms, anyways, so whether bayonets really might have fitted on muskets or some weapons on top there at some point, I don't know. And feel free to correct us and, you know, let us know by email or social media. To me, the bayonet just seems like it would obstruct aiming if it was on top of the muzzle, the way it comes up. It's like, uh-huh. how could you look down the barrel of that and aim if you have this bayonet in your way? Because you don't know that it's completely straight and... So well, it's just going to be when you're looking down the barrel. That's definitely in the way, and it's going to it's yeah. obstruct your view. And, and in this minute, we see more bayonets later on, but they're off to the side. So we have, huh. in that one shot, they appear to be on top of the muzzle, and then later on, we see that they're off to the side. And I even saw kind of this tongue and groove or notch, or however we want to say this, where the bayonet would actually connect onto the gun. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, you know, that really leaves only two possible locations. If you have these notches on there, it's either going to be on the top or it's going to be on the bottom of the muzzle. And then you're either obstructing the aiming. And then if it's on the bottom, you might obstruct the ramrod that you'd need to pull out to reload. Well, it turns out they were actually off to the side. The bayonets were actually off to the side. So I did some selective rewinding and pausing. And the three Marines that we see in minute 18 actually rotate their muskets when ordered to keep their guns on Jack. Yeah. So they're holding it. They're holding it off to the side. They're, so the way they're he They're holding does it, it gang-like. Well, that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> so you can't believe that. I can't believe you said that. So obviously these Marines are the pioneers <laughs> for the way gangbangers hold their pistols. And it's with the handle flat and parallel to the ground. So I'm thinking... The whole red coat thing is really a precursor to the old, you know, gang the blood. So it's wearing red. And so this all makes sense now. Pirates of the Caribbean Minute is now rewriting history and filling in the gaps for everybody out there. We've got Lord of the Rings connections and we got the connection of British soldiers and Marines were actually uh, the instigators for the Bloods and the Crips out in Southern California. But seriously, though, I'm not quite sure why they rotate the muskets. And my only thought is perhaps it worked better for the camera shot. You know, as oh, we get a maybe. rather we get a nice close up of the muskets behind Jack and Norrington. And if they're on top, you're getting the thinnest look of the musket. As if, you know, so that thin perspective of it. Yeah. But if it was held right side up, if you will, where the bayonet is now on the side of the musket, you would be seeing the whole width of that musket go or that bayonet go down right. and it could obstruct some of the shot or people in the shot. And so that's my only thinking, at least from my cursory research or my my theory on why they actually rotate it. But you can clearly see when you do slow motion that when they pull the guns up, they rotate it and hold the... And it's basically being supported on the arm. Huh. And so they did rotate that. So yeah, definitely gang style. <laughs> so since there's no possible way for us to follow up gang style musket holding and bayonets... We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 20 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Thanks for 
joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. If you like the show, then leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags.